Welcome to the Jackson Cloud. I'm Jamin. I'm Casey. And I'm Olivia. And we are an online church. Welcome. <laughs> was there more to that statement going to happen? I don't know. Like, that was a dramatic pause. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Welcome to the online church. Join our Discord to chat with us more and find the communal, communal, community, communal, communal is how that goes together side of of how online church works you'll find our link below anyways uh going through revelation we continue last week's sentence <laughs> uh in his right hand he held seven stars jesus holds seven stars in his right hand which are the angels of the churches to which john is writing to right and Doctor. and then the next part of the sentence from his mouth came a two-edged sword <laughs> The weapon is finally here. It is finally here. I remember when I took a revelation class in college and the teacher put up a picture of this experience. Because, you know, there's more to it, too. He's got bronze legs and his face is shining and his eyes are flames of fire. Like, that's all terrifying. <laughs> I wonder if we could even find the picture here. Uh, Jesus, <sighs> revelation, mouth sword. Let's just see what happens. I feel terrified already. Okay, so here's a bunch. There's one. Here, here's, here's one. I like that one. There, there we go. That's what I'm talking about right there. There you go. Right on, right on Pinterest. Put, put that towards the camera. Let people, let people see that. Yeah, yeah. Right. I can't go any further without. Okay, one. hard to see that, but. We'll put it on the Discord. Yeah. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's our plug. <laughs> it's, it's intense. You know, like, look at John. Actually, you know what? That's a part of what John says. I saw him. I fell at his feet as though dead. <laughs> like, <laughs> wouldn't you? <laughs> I saw yeah. him. His eyes were flaming like fire. His feet like bronze. And his mouth was a sword. Like, Is it weird like that reminds me of Zeus from some of the uh, Kratos God of War video games? You know what? It's... Not as weird as you think, actually. If I were to pull out my commentary from Dr. David Oon in Clinthius's famous hymn to Zeus, the thunderbolt wielded by Zeus is called a two-edged. It's called two-edged in line 10, suggesting the analogy with a two-edged sword. There's some places throughout Revelation where commentators have wondered if they're like uh, both insulting Zeus or making analogies between like Satan and Zeus sometimes and then other moments where like they take things that their culture would have thought was Zeus's and then they give it to Jesus which is a way of kind of like you know um, backhanding or <laughs> disrespecting disrespecting or saying oh you think Zeus has the power actually the real power is in Jesus which is something that the Old Testament prophets used to do as well so that would not be that's strange if John the prophet did it did it as well in his book. Uh, but this actually is, is, I think, super important to think about right here. Because the book of Revelation is bathed in what feels like blood and violence. <laughs> in fact, for me, it was the reason I couldn't read it for the longest time. And then... Then, as I grew in my own theology over the last 10 years, it became the book that I refused to read for the longest time 
because I, I started becoming a what I call Jesus pacifist. Because every time Jesus shows up, he's talking about forgiveness, he's talking about loving your enemies, praying for them. He models it himself when he dies on a cross, he's like, forgive them. You know, like none of this makes sense with violence. And this is how he taught us to live too. And that was something I never expected to come to for me. I was just reading uh, Jesus for President by Shane Claiborne and Chris Haw, which I always enjoyed Shane Claiborne. We did an interview with him here on the Jackson Cloud. Um, but at the time I was like, oh, that's kind of a cheesy title, Jesus for President. <laughs> I had no idea how theologically like, like changing that title would be for me because... That made me realize, like, we don't have kings and queens in America. Like, the closest thing that we think of is is presidents, you know. Um, and Jesus for president then started making me realize, like, do I make Jesus president? Do I make him in charge? And, and so on and so forth. Anyway, throughout that book, it got to the point of talking a lot about war. And America loves war. And you can see it in our budget and the things we do. And if you pay attention to... Um, the stories that people of other nations tell about how we oppress them, then we're like, oh, wow, okay. These are not very Jesus-like. Uh, I think the first time I ever caught wind of that was in um, high school when my history teacher showed a movie about Hiroshima. But it wasn't Pearl Harbor. It was like Japan's version, <laughs> you know? And like... They'd walk outside every day and be terrorized by these newspapers flying to the ground about the things that are going to be done to them. And and then you watch like all these children hiding under desks and then the Americans come in and blow them all up. And you're like, we were the bad guys. Like, this is the kind of stuff that we did. Like, I realized they attacked us, but then the Jesus ideas of like turning the other cheeks, cheeks, turning the other... <laughs> <laughs> turning the other cheek like I understand that America wouldn't react that way but like this kind of methodology was always taught to me as like from Christians you know like this is what we do don't mess with America don't mess with us so so for me like I grew up with a Christianity that was like violence is acceptable in cases where America says it is <laughs> and all other times we should turn the other cheek type thing and I'm like well that doesn't match what Jesus did though especially if he's our president if you will if he's our king then like it doesn't matter what the nations do we're called to like be with him on his side of practicing nonviolence. so I'll pause there for a minute to ask why Casey's face is distorted I don't want to move from there. <laughs> well, I mean, for me, there's a difference between what Jesus wants us to do individually versus hmm. what we should do as a nation. Well, yeah. In, in my mind, like, when it comes to the practices of a nation, if it's going to be violent, like, that's my... I don't belong in this. This isn't my kingdom type thing. Um, right, but then would you say the same thing about what happened in the Old Testament with the Israelites doing wars and such? Yeah, well, that's always a... That's one of the confusing parts for like lots if, of people. 
all the more reason why lots of people have even like left the church over the Old Testament. They just can't figure out their versus New Testament. Because so. like, I feel like when David was doing it as a part of the nation building, mm-hmm. like wars had to have been fought because otherwise all of the people would have been wiped out. Um, so would you rather go for a genocide versus defending yourself? I I don't know that that's an accurate depiction of the Old Testament, though. I think when you... Well, no, if you would have applied your, like, being a pacifist and not mm-hmm. defending yourself, mm-hmm. like, if that would have been done in the Old Testament, the Israelites would have been wiped out. Would they have, though? See, first off, you don't know because right. they never practiced it. I know, <laughs> but I... <laughs> Well, but I think a, they would have. But that's that's the question to ask them. Like, who was always their protection? Who was the reason they survived? It was God. Yeah, because he lived there. That was God's space. And they weren't going to lose because God was there. And right, when they but finally they... did lose, it's because the prophets saw that God left the building. He wasn't there anymore. And then they got attacked and they were screwed. Right. So it shows you, like, cause and effect was always God... God was maintaining victory. But both times, they still were okay to defend themselves at the time. Uh, I think when you look through a lot of those stories, though, like, you don't see, like, an over-focus on... Yeah, this is always hard with the Old Testament. It's the same thing that the book Jesus for President picks up, too. Like, how do we do this? If I was to just slim this all down to a basic answer, I would say uh, this belongs back in our red Red Letter Christian episode. Jesus is the fullest revelation of who God is he says when you see me you've seen the father so how did Jesus act and I think sometimes when you look at how Jesus acted it doesn't match a lot of these things that we see in the Old Testament and if I were to say like these pictures don't line up who am I going to uh, put my understanding of God in most it's going to be Jesus because he is the biggest revelation of who God is so for me Jesus says, if someone hurts you, turn the other cheek. You might get persecuted. Take joy in that. Uh, love your enemies. Pray for them. Peter, put down your sword. Don't pick that up. You know, like all those things to me, time and time again, say, despite what I don't get in the Old Testament, Jesus of the New Testament says that God is like this. He makes it rain on both the just and the unjust. And so I should be taking care of the just and the unjust as well. But that's more of an individualistic type of idea mm-hmm. compared to more nation building, which is why the Old Testament, I think, was more like what it was. Yeah, but then if you pay close attention, there's these moments that just don't line up very well. David, you can't build the temple because you're a man of blood. Like, I thought we celebrated that in the Old Testament. Like, David conquered. He was a war hero. Like, everybody celebrated that. Surprise, David, you can't build the holy space. You have blood on your hands. But that was unexpected. Like, I would have almost thought, like, yeah, you're the guy to do it, <laughs> based on the way that they treated him. But right. they didn't. Even with David's victories, it was the same, like, God's in charge. Look, man, all you need is a stone. Just throw it at that guy. You know, like, clearly David didn't win that. That was God who did it. And that was the whole point of the Goliath versus David. It is like, someone finally had faith to do what they were supposed to do, take out the giants. But what if he would have done nonviolence there? Uh, so it gets confusing once we get into giants because Israel in some sense was supposed to be like the people who got rid of the giants after the flood didn't work. 
because all the places in which they were told to attack throughout the Old Testament were places where giants had been sighted. Other places they could just remove people. But the places that had giants, yeah, you do have the like continuation of the flood narrative. So there's all these themes that work together, and I don't have a perfect answer, and I have yet to meet a theologian who does. The only answer that I completely give myself to is Jesus is the fullest revelation of God. He is our president, our king. What he says goes. And if what he says clashes with the nations, then I am expected to live by his standards instead of the nations. So I, I think maybe this will help. Sometimes God might use, uh, and I, I never fully know how to say this, Sometimes God might use the violence of the nations as a way of um, letting chaos go up against chaos to get a result that, that he might want. So you do see throughout the Old Testament, like Israel was supposed to be conquered as, by Babylon. And in order to do that, God had to lift protection, allow the chaos agent of Babylon to come in, and bring about the consequence for their sins. Does that mean he like empowered Babylon or um, declared violence? Or did he just lift protection and let the world go the natural route it goes when it's under chaos and violence? Because I think that's sometimes the way that violence is... is um, seen from God's perspective throughout the Old Testament. I know that sounds weird, but even think of the flood. The flood, the way that the world is supposed to work is in their idea, there's this big snow globe ceiling that holds back the waters. And if that wasn't there, we'd all be screwed because there's windows in that. And like, that's why it only rains just enough sometimes <laughs> that we don't like just all die. That, that is the way that they thought. The rain is above that snow globe Open up the windows, the rain pours through, okay? The story of the flood is like, what if God just didn't leave any protection and you were left back to the chaos that was there before he put in the ceiling? Is that chaos? Is that violence? Yeah, the world ends up getting ruined by it. People die because of it, but it's not necessarily anything that God did. It's actually more like something God didn't do. Is that... This is what life is like when we don't want God. So could you almost look at the nations attacking each other in that way sometimes to be the way in which things happen? Maybe from God's perspective, but not from our Christian undertaking. And the early church seemed to especially understand that they were not supposed to be involved in, in violence or military efforts. And I think where you do see them getting involved in military efforts, the only places that they were willing to serve was like, uh, um, I might be wrong on this. I think the only places they were willing to serve was to like uh, medics to take care of those who were in whatever wars or whatever. Which is one way to think about, okay, I'm a Christian, I've been called to war. For me, it'd be, um, I just, you know, I'm a conscientious objector. I can't be involved in that because of my connection to Jesus. But if I was to be called with no way, other way to get out, if America didn't offer this conscientious objector route, for me, it'd be like, I'll be a medic. I'll help save people. 
But from a Jesus perspective, I'm the guy running out in the middle of the field saying, hang on, there's another way to go about this. <laughs> and then I'm the guy who dies right after, right? So <laughs> it's, uh, all that being said, I bring all that up because it's like, here's the start of violence. As Casey said right at the beginning of this episode, finally a weapon, you know, like this is where the weapon shows up. And does Revelation match the pacifistic kind of Jesus that I just talked about? And I want to pause there for a second. When I use the word pacifism, I, I usually say Jesus pacifism. Because pacifism, in our minds, takes on about 20 to 50 different forms and ideologies. Right? And none of those match Jesus. Like, there's, there's violent pacifism, angry pacifism, unforgiving pacifism. There's all these kinds of things that don't match the kind of thing that Jesus was doing. I did not know that. Well, I mean, just think of, like, slander-type pacifism or unloving um, type pacifism, things like that. Like, that's not the kind of stuff Jesus was doing. He, he loved the offenders and cared for them too. So, Jesus' pacifism is, is different than that. Though it always feels like a slap in the face to anyone committing violence. Um, but here Jesus has a mouth come out of his a mouth. A, a mouth come out of his mouth. Here Jesus has a double-edged, a two-edged Zeus-like lightning bolt sword come out of his mouth. What's the symbolism? John works lots with metaphor and symbols. There's a, there's a sword in a guy's mouth. <laughs> we have our first weapon, but what is it in actuality? I mean, is this the armor of God kind of thing? No. Well, that's interesting to think about, too. Because the... Oh, actually, um, oh. what is the, the sword in the armor of God? Right. What is it? The Bible. Well, it's the Word of God. Right. Because they didn't have a Bible. Right. <laughs> so it could have been for them like the Old Testament, or for them it could have been like the prophetic speaking of God is, is the Word of the Lord. It's the sword of the Lord. Uh... So for Christians, the sword that they're supposed to take up by Paul's standards is the word of God. Where is the sword in Jesus? Coming in out of the mouth. mouth. Which so then what makes comes it, out of the mouth? It, it would words. also be the word of God coming out of his mouth, right? Yeah. What were you saying? That. Yeah. Okay. I was saying that. <laughs> <laughs> what comes out of your mouth? Words. Yeah. The word of God. Yeah. So right here for Jesus, it very much is like the word of God is what's coming out of his mouth. How does the word of God act as a sword? Well, the double edge mm. could be that sometimes you're convicting the person you're speaking to, mm. but you're also convicting yourself as for the double edge. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if Jesus needs to convict himself. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but well, I think otherwise, why would the, the sword hurt Jesus? Well, yeah. Well, I'm thinking two-edged sword is like, when I think of a knife at home, one side doesn't hurt me, the other side does, right? Correct. Right. So a double-edged sword would be like, doesn't matter what side you get hit, like... Right. There's blades on both Yeah. So sides. it's like advanced weaponry. Well, ish. So in combat fighting, a lot of times, like, to get the correct amount of force, mm -hmm. sometimes you need to grab the blade. And so because of that, with it being a double edge. The double edge sometimes hurts you if you try to put too much pressure on it. 
because of the double edge. Does this all come from your LARPing experiences? I have never seen someone fighting touch the blade of their sword unless it's the swords have clashed and they're trying to like, get more leverage. Right. Is that the only... I don't know. And what in uh, what what other scenarios? <laughs> I do. Is, have... is that the scenario you're talking, or is there? That's more one of them. Yes. Okay. I have a katana, and that one side is dull. Correct. Right? And the other side is sharp. So, like, I if I were in a sword fight, I would have a disadvantage against someone who could hit me from either side of their sword. Yeah, it would false. Yeah, it would. Let's say like. No, you... no. If your katana's sharp. The, well, the okay, point I'm not of a katana, about a skilled katana. <laughs> the point of a katana is to slice through whatever it faces. What I'm saying is... So here we go. Okay, here's the difference between a double edge and a single edge. Uh -huh. A single edge is for slicing. Mm -hmm. A double edge, I believe, is for stabbing. stabbing. But it could also be, I missed you. I just come back. Right, but the backhand <laughs> is going to be so much weaker... They'll be right. able to stop it really But easy. it's still an advantage. My point is... It's not an advantage. It's more intense of a sword. For those that are trained, <laughs> it is not an advantage. Well, fine. Fine. It's either more intense of a sword or they're doing the Zeus thing to be like, that's how intense it is. You think Zeus is in charge? It's actually Jesus. I think the double edge was probably just here, the two-sided, yeah. to do the whole stab at Zeus. That probably could be the case. That's my guess because... Yeah, at first I thought having a double edge would be fantastic, but then, like, when you have to train with it, it is not normally really a bonus. Because with I'm... a double edge, you normally hurt yourself as well. Mm -hmm. No. Well, I think what is crucial to recognize here, because this is what I did. When I read Revelation, I was like, Jamin, first off, if you're wrong about this Jesus pacifism stuff, you need to be humble enough to accept it while you read Revelation. And secondly... Uh, you need you need to do this for yourself so that you can like own up to the fullness of what the New Testament is saying. Because if I get to a point where I'm like, the Old Testament is confusing, but Jesus is the fullest revelation, then I can put the Old Testament behind. But Revelation is in the New Testament. <laughs> so I can't be like, well, I just trust in the Gospels. Revelation, eh. <laughs> I can push that out. It's like, no, is Revelation diverting back to old testament or is revelation like a continuation like what do i do with that and i felt like as i tried to come to this and be honest about like a pacifistic jesus standpoint this is the kind of stuff that i do come across where um do we think violence when we come across this yes actually much of revelation is there's a lot of violent stuff but i think some of the things you constantly see is a lot of times of violence and chaos is God either removing himself and then just chaos happens because God was holding things in check or um, violence is against, oftentimes is against the Christians. I think there's a lot of passages where people are like, wow, look at what the Christians are doing. It's like, no, you're misunderstanding the symbolism. Like, we're the lake of blood <laughs> because this is written to Christians being persecuted and they're the ones who are being martyred all day. And we'll get to that. Like when I finally saw that later, I was like, we're the ones who are the violence being happened against us all the time. But most importantly, for when it comes to moments that looks like Jesus is doing violence, this is crucial. His violence is his judgment. 
which is what Revelation is about. It's about the day of the Lord. In other words, like when Jesus speaks, his very word carries so much power that it is like a sharp two-edged sword. Right? In the end, what, what happens? All the sheep and goats are gathered, and then Jesus just speaks. Well done, my good and faithful servants. Like the sword isn't taken up against them. To the rest of you who have decided to join with Satan and his angels, uh, you will be assigned to the same place as Satan and his angels in this lake of fire. And so you see, like, Jesus' very words are his very judgments, are his very word of the Lord. On the day of the Lord, the violence that comes on people is just a declaration of, of his very speech. So, yeah. So then, if the sword is Jesus's judgment, mm. then maybe the reason it's double-edged is because when he does have to pass judgment on those who are going to hell, it hurts him as well because he just wanted everyone to be with him. Yeah. And that's why it's double-edged. Like a double-feeling type thing? or Well, just he passes judgment, but he wishes it could be different. Okay. Right. Because it hurts him to have to mm. tell people. It hurts you just to. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts Jesus to have to tell someone that they have chosen the wrong side. She's working so hard to choose her words. No, I get it. And this is such a taboo topic that we don't even like to talk about it in church, right? Partially because our predecessors messed it up so much with the, you're all going to hell. It's like, that wasn't what Jesus was doing either. <laughs> you know, all the way into Revelation, he is constantly warning people all the way to the end, like, choose me. And the people that are left who won't are likened to Pharaoh. Their hearts are just too hard to do that. Yeah. So what you're saying is, Jesus is like a dragonborn. And when he speaks, powerful things happen. How about this? Jesus is like God? <laughs> well, okay, so think of that, though. Word of the Lord, right? In the beginning, how did God go about doing all the things he did? With the Word. With the Word. He spoke things into existence. What does he do in Revelation? He speaks things out, out of, of existence. existence. Yeah. So, like, it, it works well. And John, who wrote... John, in my opinion, some people argue that. But John who wrote John's gospel, how does he start? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? In fact, let's just read it. Because we should be thinking the way that John already thinks theologically. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. Darkness has not overcome it. Right from John's get-go, Jesus is God, and Jesus is the creator. And just as God spoke things into existence, that was actually Jesus speaking things into existence. Paul's going to go with that too. So when we get to Revelation, and Jesus is speaking new creation, both by um, leaning into new creation, but speaking out old creation slaying what doesn't belong there if you will like this all fix, fits John's theology of the word of God who is Jesus right so in the end could we say that this is violent yes 
But it's not in the sense that Jesus is just walking around slaying people. It's violence in the sense that Revelation is about the day of the Lord that has come. And the day of the Lord is about what stays and what doesn't. That's what's always like been on the table for Israel, prophesied for thousands of years at this point. One day there is a judgment day where God will fully call the shots. And so it makes sense that Jesus walks in, not with a sword in his hand, but with his tongue ready to call the shots. I don't liken that to the same kind of violence we think of. I liken that to like a judgment day kind of violence. I know you could push back on that and be like, well, if hell is ending those things, it feels kind of violent. But I would not say it's a cycle-type, bitterness-type violence. Sure, the wrath and anger of God-type violence, but one one that happens in one ultimate moment, not something that's just constantly imploding upon itself. That whole just domination cycle of constant violence... That's something that you see Satan caught up in every day. And when you see people get caught up in that kind of violence, it's not uncommon that you find Satan at work very easily in the background. So that's the kind of stuff God told us to get away from. And it's also a kind of stuff that Paul said the only person who can carry out vengeance is who? God. God. So Paul did understand, like, sure, there will be a day of vengeance. There will be a day where Jesus does hold things to account. But only Jesus can do that. So that, that, that is another thing in my Jesus pacifism. If you're going to say he's violent here, I would say um, it's the day of the Lord type thing, and he's the only one who can do that rightly. And that's why Christians are always supposed to forgive and say, God, I can't handle this, only you can. I leave vengeance to you. You figure it out. And I'll just do what you told me to do and forgive and love. Right? So. Is that helpful at all? Okay, it's going to be a continuing conversation. (laughs) That's part of the reason this episode's so long. This is the first time we've come across violence, and we are going to see it a lot in Revelation. But if you can hang on to what we talked about today, I think you will constantly find it's not the kind of violence that we've always thought about. It's this kind of end of days judgment type proclamation word of God type thing. All right, so we'll get more into that. What about you? What's your story? Let us know. In the Discord. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe down below. And uh, see if you can beat me to the first comment. And we will catch you then.